Chapter 1 Expectations Every grown up occasionally wishes they could fix something about a child. Maybe it's a stubborn behavior you can't break, like a teenager insisting on waiting till the last minute to do their homework. It could be a reaction you don't understand, an explosive outburst over a trivial matter. Or perhaps it's a tendency you can't relate to, a student who refuses to speak up even when you know they know the right answer. No matter the age or the stage, understanding kids is hard. If only they came with an owner's manual. Maybe that's why you're listening to this book. You're looking for explanations for behaviors that simply don't make sense to you. Sometimes the issue's minor, a brief irritant that you do your best to overlook, a child who struggles to make eye contact with adults, a toddler who refuses to pick up his toys. Other times it's chronic and all-encompassing, and it's radically affecting the dynamics in your home or in the classroom. Whether you're scratching your head or pulling your hair out, just know you're not alone. For over 30 years, adults have marched into my office desperate to understand what's going on with their children. And I hear things like, "I just don't get why. I've tried everything. If we don't fix this, we'll be in trouble 10 years from now." Or, "They've heard nothing I've said all season." And even, "I didn't think parenting, teaching, or coaching would be this hard." Sound familiar to you? Well, I listen patiently as parents complain about their lazy, messy children, or teachers tell me about the kids in their classes who can't seem to sit still or pay attention. And coaches talk about players who have so much potential but just don't want to put in the work. These are not small issues, and left unaddressed, over time they have the potential to cause damage to the child's self-image. in their relationship with you. I've seen it happen. I've worked with fathers and sons whose relationships were on the brink of destruction. I've listened as a mother wept in my office after admitting to loving but not really liking her own daughter. It's truly heartbreaking. When I work with parents, I usually suggest they bring their child in to see me. When I meet these children, my experience is always the same. These children are delightful. Now, you may be quick to point out that the children are likely to be on their best behavior when they're with me. But I've been doing this a long time, and I'm rarely fooled. My conversation with the kids goes something like this. I ask, "Why do you think your mom and dad brought you here today?" And they say things like, I keep getting in trouble for not paying attention and disrupting the class. Or she's insisting I join a club, play a sport, learn an instrument, and I just don't want to. Sometimes it's he wants me to sign up for AP math, and I don't think it's a good idea. Or apparently I'm bossy. Despite the varying scenarios or ages of the children, There's a common theme to all these conversations. Can you spot it? 
In each case, the tension between the child and the adult stems from unmet expectations. So let's go back to their reasons. The child that said, I keep getting in trouble for not paying attention and disrupting the class. The expectation is that the child should pay attention and not disrupt the class. Or how about the one that said, she's insisting I join a club, play a sport, or learn an instrument, and I just don't want to. The expectation is that all kids join clubs, play sports, or learn music. When the child said, he wants me to sign up for AP Math next year, and I don't think it's a good idea. The expectation is, if you're smart enough to take AP Math, you take AP Math. Don't forget this one. Apparently, I'm bossy. The expectation is, being bossy is unacceptable behavior. Stop it. Now, maybe you hear that and think, kids should pay attention. They should participate in activities. They should challenge themselves academically. They should not be bossy. If so, brace yourself. Your child is not the problem. Your expectations are the problem. Let me say that again. Your child is not the problem. Your expectations are the problem. And this is very good news. It means you don't have to change or fix your child. You've probably been trying that and it hasn't worked anyway. Instead, I'm gonna help you change the way you see your child to align your expectations with your child's wiring. It's what I've been doing for 30 years and trust me, it works. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start by figuring out exactly what you've been expecting and sometimes not getting from your child. If you and I were sitting in my office and I asked you, what do you expect from your child? You might answer that they'll try hard in school, be nice to their friends and siblings, complete their chores, engage politely with adults, or be obedient and cooperative. To you, maybe these are all reasonable and easily achievable expectations. Have you ever considered where those expectations come from? Chances are it's one of four things. Let's go through them. Number one, your upbringing. For many of us, expectations, particularly in parenting, are inherited. You expect something from your child because that's what your parents expected of you. Perhaps obedience was a really big deal to your dad and defiance got you the belt. Or your mom was a type A neat freak, and her way of doing things was the only right way. It's easy to see why this happens. The way your parents operated is usually the only example you've seen. So it's natural to assume that whatever they did is what parents are supposed to do. Without second-guessing it, you grew up and played that expectation forward one generation to your child. Or occasionally this happens in the opposite direction. Because your parents expected something of you and you did not like it, you refuse to make it an expectation in your family. Number two, 
your dreams for your child. The moment a child enters your life, sometimes nine months before, you start imagining their future. You picture peewee football games and dance recitals. You envision the day they'll graduate and get married. If you're a teacher or a coach, you might imagine what your students will do this school year or what your team could accomplish this season. The trouble is that your child doesn't always agree. You imagine them trying out for football, but they'd rather audition for the spring musical. You thought they'd be into hiking or camping like you, but they're more comfortable on the couch with a book. Number three, your past experiences. For parents with more than one child, it's common that expectations for the second and third borns are heavily influenced by their experiences with their firstborn. Her older brother never threw a tantrum. Why is she doing this? All the other kids are good at math. What's wrong with him? In the classroom, it sounds like this. In all my years of teaching, I have never had a student as chatty as her. On the field, a coach might say, last year's team was much more dedicated. Often, this comparison is what leads us to conclude that the child is the problem, not our expectations. After all, if one meets your expectation and the other falls short, that's a them problem, right? Not a you problem. Number four, culture. What you see shapes what you expect. As you look around in movies, television, books, and your community, you can't help but to absorb messages about what should be true of the child in your life. Culture tells you how boys are supposed to behave or what girls should enjoy doing. Movies illustrate the right way for kids to look, and books explain how a proper classroom is run. These judgments, of course, are subjective. Culture is at work shaping your expectations every single day without your consent. Whether your child measures up becomes a matter of personal pride because none of us can resist the temptation to compare. Her classroom operates like a well-oiled machine. Mine is loud and chaotic. His kid makes wise choices. Why can't mine? We all want to look like we have it together. And that requires our kids to play along. Unfortunately, as you've undoubtedly realized, those expectations sometimes go unmet. What happens then? When your son chooses drama over sports, or your youngest child struggles academically in ways her siblings never did, how do you respond? Let me guess. Your first thought is something is wrong with the child and it has to be fixed. They need to change. In my experience, these moments are the danger zone for hurtful words that may echo in your child's mind and heart through adulthood. In the danger zone, we say things like, in our family, we play football. Or, you obviously aren't studying enough. Your siblings did not have any trouble in school. Or how about, 
Why can't you stop being so fill in the blank and start being more like so and so? Why can't you just do it the first time? You are literally never ready for practice when you're supposed to be. Or calm down. Why do you always have to be so over the top? Maybe you've said some of these things to the children in your life, or maybe you heard these words as a child and they've stuck with you ever since. What rarely occurs to any of us as we're saying these words is that our children may not have been capable of or interested in meeting our expectations in the first place. If we did stop to consider this, we might realize he's not interested in playing football. She may stink at math, but wow, can she sing. His sister may have been quiet and studious, but he is not and that's okay. Your expectations of your child are shaped by your upbringing, your dreams for them, your past experiences, and culture. They are usually not shaped by your child or their natural wiring. Herein lies the problem. When it comes to parenting, teaching, counseling, or coaching, there is no single approach that's gonna work for every child. A coach asks in his pregame prep talk, do you have what it takes? And one player gets fired up while another sits in doubt wondering, I don't know, do I? Teachers, have you ever taught more than one child from the same family? The first child is a breeze, quiet, studious, obedient. Two years later, his younger sister shows up and she's boisterous, chatty, and undisciplined. Is that nature or nurture? Some students are inherently shy and hesitant to speak up, while others are confident and bold in their words. Some players perform better against adversity, while others buckle under pressure. There are students who openly share with their counselors and others who clam up and refuse to speak. These differences have nothing to do with genetics. Just ask a parent of identical twins or triplets. The physical appearance may be the same, but that's where the similarities stop. What you're gonna learn in this book is that your child's wiring must inform your expectations of them. It is unreasonable to expect some children to be able to sit still for long stretches of time, confidently talk to strangers, enthusiastically join the game, or obey without dissent. Forcing them to do so is unreasonable. It's unreasonable as asking a five-year-old to drive a car or a 10-year-old to solve a quadratic equation. This is where nearly all my clients push back. Let me guess what you're thinking. So what? I'm just supposed to give up on expecting my kid to sit still in school or pass ninth grade algebra? No, of course not. But I am going to show you a healthier and more effective way of accomplishing it. What I'm going to teach you through the next five chapters of this book and the corresponding videos on YouTube is a simple framework 
for how to understand your child's innate wiring. By the end of our time together, you'll be able to do three things. Number one, set more realistic expectations. For example, they may never be able to sit still, but they can learn when, where, and how to fidget so it doesn't distract others. Number two, you will know how to make children feel confident in their strengths and capable of managing their weaknesses. And number three, you'll be able to help them grow into the person that they were made to be. What's more, it's only going to require one thing from you, words. Have you ever considered the extraordinary power of words? You've experienced it firsthand, I'm sure. Perhaps a mentor offered you advice that changed the course of your career. Or maybe you had a teacher whose encouragement gave you the confidence to pursue a degree or apply to a particular college. It could be that a few stinging words from childhood still shape your self-image. For better, and unfortunately for worse, words have the power to shape your entire life. The more sobering thing, the reason I've written this book, is that your words have the power to shape the lives of the children around you as well. We'd all agree that speaking kindly to kids is a no-brainer. I've never met an adult who's intentionally trying to hurt a child with their words. Instead, I hear phrases like, that's not what I meant. She took it the wrong way. Or what I was trying to say was, there's a reason the English language is so full of idioms and adages related to words. Stop putting words in my mouth. Eat your words. Twist your words. Open mouth, insert foot. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. We are fantastic at saying the wrong thing or saying the right thing the wrong way. This is a struggle as old as time. We can look back thousands of years and read ancient literature that warns us about the power of words. This one is my favorite. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What you'll learn in this book will help you make sure you get your words right from now on. This is not a discipline strategy. There are no charts or stickers or magic pixie dust. It's a framework for communication that has the power to change every single conversation you have with a child. If you learn this approach to communication, you will see a change, I guarantee it. Discipline will be easier. Your family, classroom, or team dynamic will change. I've seen it happen over and over again. One last thought. In my experience, adults use most of their words directed at a child to convey information, correct a behavior, or give orders. How do I know this? Whenever I meet with kids, I ask them, what do grown-ups say to you most often? There's a common trend to their answers. Clean up your room. Put away your clothes. Did you do your homework? Sit down. Sit still. Be quiet. 
If I were to ask the children around you what you say most often, would their answers be different? Our words are most often logistical, but not inspirational, efficient, but not encouraging, productive, but not meaningful. The fact is, much of what we say to our children isn't necessarily harmful, but it's also not very helpful. It may not be tearing them down, but it's certainly not building them up. It doesn't have to be that way, though. I hope by the time you finish listening to this book, you'll see the extraordinary opportunity you have to make every word you speak a gift to the child you're speaking to. Let me say that again. You have the opportunity to make every word you speak a gift to the child you're speaking to. Now, let's figure out why your children behave the way they do.